Ben Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much, maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Welcome back to the Shift to Freedom podcast. Today, I'm here again with my lovely wife, Paige Easter, and we are doing the part two of language to look out for or choosing empowering language or uh, choosing resourceful language. So, uh, Paige, last week we covered... Good, bad, right, wrong. Good, bad, right, wrong. Should, Should you two have to, to, must... have to, gotta. Yeah. Uh, and makes me and another passive voice language. So great. Awesome. So if you haven't listened to that one, I would encourage you to go back and check that out. These are language patterns that can help you to feel more in control of your life, can help you to feel more empowered in your life. They're language that represents kind of the tip of a belief iceberg that once we, um, we kind of get through these language patterns, we have a lot more possibility and choice in our existence. So what's on the list for today, Paige? And by right, today, let's I mean start. secretly three minutes later, but you, for you all, it's a whole week. <laughs> so what do we have now? Okay, number four on our list of seven is I can't. I can't. Um, yeah, I I love noticing this to other people when they say this because uh, I can't is the kind of thing that we say that it kind of implies like a permanent state, which is not true. Because mm-hmm. anything that you can't do in any moment, you ultimately at some point can. And so it's almost kind of like a half-truth. Like it's true-ish, but not the whole truth. Or, see, because there might be people saying, no, there are things that we can't do. And to that I say, who knows? We don't actually know what's possible <laughs> in the future. Like, really? I, I know the tendency to say something like there are actually things that we can't do with authority. But there was a time when somebody would have said that about flying and and even now you might be saying, yeah, but flying without an airplane or flying without wings. And I'm like, shoot, I literally have no idea what is coming technologically, like can't even possibly imagine. And neither can you really if we're <laughs> I mean, you, you can pretend that, you know, what's going to happen in the future. But really, like it's something that it's obscured to us right now. And because of that, we have only to operate on what we have right now in the moment, which is the ability to either prevent ourselves from seeing a possibility or to suspend disbelief and maybe see a possibility. And that's where I think is really useful about noticing this particular language. Yeah. I love this one also because I think that just like you said, it relates to our capacity for exploring possibilities and so I would love to hear from you because I think that you talk about this so beautifully, but I'd love to hear from you, like the relationship between belief and possibilities and our potential for freedom. Well, 
I mean, our potential for freedom is our ability to do stuff. Like, really, that's what freedom is, is our ability to express ourselves in any way that we want to in the world. To show up however we want to in the world, however we really deeply, truly want to from our like most authentic version of ourselves. And the way that this word can't works is, again, we don't know whether or not it's true. Okay, it's whether I believe, and this is actually a famous Henry Ford quote, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. Because the thing is, what we're doing is we're actually like, we're telling a story about the world. But if the story that we're telling is that something's not possible, then we're going to stop looking for how to do it. We're going to kind of put things mm-hmm. to rest. Well, this will come up again in the I don't know language, but... But what we want to do if we want to be able to express as much freedom in the world as we possibly can is we want to leave our possibilities open. I can't think of any good reasons. I can't think of. See, I'm closing off possibilities (laughs) even as I say it. (laughs) It turns out you just don't want to in this case. Yeah, I I actually don't. You love advocating for freedom. It's true, actually. That is what's happening. So so I've got... And by the way, that's that's how these things are probably working. Um, a lot of times when we're saying can't, it's probably protecting us from something else that we don't want to experience. Like in this case, I don't want to think of any reasons why. Um, and so I'm not going to dedicate my mind's power to doing it, really. But I was going to say, I can't think of any reasons to use the word can't. But that was one that I just said. So the thing is... Whenever we're using that word, we're closing down possibilities. And it's usually in our best interest to keep possibilities open for ourselves. Mm. So that's that's can't yeah. in a nutshell. I want to notice one more thing about this phrase in particular is that I hear people use it in an instance where it is necessarily an untruth. And they'll say mm. like, oh, I, I can't do that. I can't just walk up to somebody and ask them that question. I could oh, never. Right. And so, it, and this is just a, it's just a really clear example of how when we use our language, it's not that we're noticing the world. It's that we're actually creating it by choosing that language. Yeah. And so it, it's not that you can't, because anybody with legs and a mouth could walk up to another person. They have all of the tools and functional things that you need to complete that task. But when you say, I can't do it, you are cutting yourself off from that reality. And also, it's kind of an unresourceful lie that you're telling. Especially if the whole reason that we're talking about you going up and talking to this person about whatever is because of something that you want on the other side of that conversation. And that's where a lot of these things actually exist. So especially being on the lookout for your beliefs like I can't as they stand in the way of something that you really want in your reality. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we say instead of I can't? I can't yet is one way to do it because at least yet will help us to kind of hold space for the possibility Mm. that we could discover in the future. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really nice one. Um, Or I I think actually what you just said is a really valuable one to just take a second and sit and try swapping it out. If you catch yourself saying I can't do something, try swapping out. I won't. I'm unwilling to do that thing. And see how it lands with you. I don't want to. Yeah, I I don't want to. And see how that lands for you. Because I won't, you know. Because that I I think that'll feed back to you what you're really saying to yourself. Or you might find out that it's just not worth it to you to take whatever that action is. And that also is okay. But then look at how much power you have now if you turn an I can't do that thing into I really don't want to do that thing. You've taken responsibility. You're now in charge of your life rather than some sort of external laws of the universe or something like that that might be getting in the way. 
Yeah, let's move on to the next one. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. What's next? Number five on the list is I don't know. I don't know. So why don't we like to say I don't know? My favorite way to talk about I don't know as unresourceful language is to talk about the brain as like a query machine. And if you ask it a question, it wants to return some kind of an answer. And I also think that brains are kind of these really awesome energy-saving machines. Like, they want to find shortcuts and they want things to be easy for us. And so sometimes a really fast way for brain to keep us from having to exert too much energy is to just return the response, I don't know. Mm. So that it's like, oh, well, that, that response fits the query we're done now. We can go back query? to resting. So you're saying uh, your brain is like a search query machine? Yeah. Like Google, basically. Your brain is like Google. I think most people think of our brains as like being a source of information, which is only partly true. It's not really that that useful to think of our brain's capacity to be like a source of information. It is instead much better at a source of answering questions. It's like a meaning-making machine. It answers our questions. It finds what we're looking for is another way to say it. And I think this is a really useful thing to understand about the brain. It means if you want to brainstorm, most people think of like going into a room with a piece of blank paper or a whiteboard and then like nothing's on it. And then everybody just comes up with ideas out of their brain. Um, And it's actually, it turns out it's a lot more effective to do that if you have a big source of information from various different topics, various different textures and colors and sounds and flavors and things like that to give your brain data to combine together because that's what the brain is really effective at is like making connections. So that's literally what the brain does is it makes connections between neurons. Um, So all that is a very long-winded way of saying Uh, The brain is very effective at answering questions. And so if we give the brain a question and then we return the answer, I don't know, the brain will stop querying the database. It's going to stop asking because it has returned an answer. And the answer is, I don't know. And so it's much more useful, I think, instead of saying, I don't know, if you catch yourself saying, I don't know, to a question, ask yourself the question again. And this time, just sit in the space that happens when you haven't come to an answer yet and see what happens see what kinds of thoughts come up for you notice them i think this i don't know language also harkens back to the good bad right wrong thing Mm -hmm. because it's like oh well i don't have the right answer so i'm just gonna say i don't know and protect myself from being seen as being wrong and it's really useful to to query the database and find out what maybe could be an answer because even if you don't get an answer that answers the question, you might get a breadcrumb or a clue that helps you to answer the question more in the future. So really kind of fun, useful way to to think about reframing the I don't know. I was just thinking as you were talking about kind of my understanding of the subconscious brain. I'm studying hypnosis right now. And one of the things that they talk about is like welcoming somebody into a hypnotic state is essentially uh, the brain waves are the kinds of brain waves that are activated when or that your brain is operating on when you put your critic brain to sleep. And so doing something calming, like if I don't know is the answer that comes up, it happens so often that people are like, I don't know, and they get really frustrated. And so a recommendation could be to just take a second and take a nice deep breath, look around the room and notice like everything's fine, there's no problem here, and just ask the question again. 
and see if you can kind of calm your nervous system enough to like let that critic vein take a back seat for a second and then see what comes up. Nice. I love that. This is also reminding me of uh, one of the early kind of tricks that I learned in coaching, which is if a client says, I don't know, you say, I understand that you don't know. If you did know, what would the answer be? <laughs> it's so funny how often that that question, that phrasing just gets people right to the answer. Because, and, and this again is I think it's got something to do with that good, bad, right, wrong thing. Like that there's like a right answer. There's something to be known. Because as soon as you say, like, I understand that you don't know, if you did, what would it be? Then it somehow frees you up from the worry about getting a wrong answer. I just think it's so funny. So listeners, if you catch somebody say, I don't know, it's a question, literally try that. It is so funny to watch somebody have just given you an I don't know answer and then now suddenly magically surprise you with an answer once you rephrase the question like that. I understand that you don't know. If you did know, what would the answer be? So what do we say instead of I don't know? We ask our brain again and see what answers come out. We just ask the brain again. We just be quiet. Rather than supplying an I don't know, we just sit and listen. You can try instead of I don't know, you can try, hmm, good question. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah. Good, useful, whatever. That's a useful question. It's a good, useful (laughs) question. (laughs) Yeah, because again, it's a shorthanding for for effective for our end goal. Um, So what's next? What do you have? I'm trying. I'm trying. That's the mm. next one. Mm. Yeah. I think this one's a really interesting one. Um, I think that there are probably cases where, as with all of these, there might be cases where there is some sort of resourceful or effective use of this kind of language. I'm trying. What most of the time when somebody says, I'm trying, what they're really m- meaning is, I'm intending to not be able to do it right now. I'm planning mm-hmm. to fail at whatever the thing is right now. Yeah. Um, because if I say I'm trying to throw this piece of paper in the garbage, if I believed I would do it, if I knew I could do it, I would just I'm just gonna throw it in the garbage. Like, it's so simple, I just throw it. But exactly. when I say I'm trying, I'm it's like, oh, I know that I'm gonna not make it. Exactly. Like I wouldn't say right now something that's very obviously possible for me, like I'm I'm gonna try to pick up my phone. That that would not be the way that we would ever phrase that because there's not a doubt in my mind that I'm gonna be able to pick up my phone. If I said I'm going to try about, to pick up my phone, you'd be like, well, what is it, behind bars or something? What do you mean? What about when somebody says I'm trying to understand something or I'm, like, trying to get something? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting use case. I'm trying to understand. I, I still do think that it's doing a similar thing. It's almost like an I don't know answer as well. It's like I'm saying I'm not getting it right now. That's essentially Mm -hmm. what I think that sentence is saying. Again, I don't think that there's like a rule about this one because trying does also mean making an attempt at something. Mm -hmm. But again, even when I say that, I'm thinking like I'm going to make an attempt at it and not succeed. So it is useful to to recognize that that is probably part of what the meaning of trying is, is that you aren't going to succeed at the thing when you're doing it. And so if that's how you want to be planning your experience, that's great. Like, I mean, practicing, you know, I'm going to give it the old college try to go learn this new guitar song. As long as I'm not believing that I won't be able to learn it in the future or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So Yeah, I, I think for, I'm trying to understand. The reason I bring that up is because I think it sometimes can imply that maybe it's unsurmountable and almost even denies progress because you've been trying to figure it out. It's like a state. Uh, but I think a more resourceful way of saying it is like, I'm learning. I'm figuring this out. I'm learning. I'm in the act of improvement. I'm not in the act of failing still. I'm eventually going to get there. Yeah. And you'll find, again, you can hear even in the way that we just heard Paige say this, that that sounded more useful just in the way that that was phrased. I'm developing my skill at this. I'm practicing this. I'm learning this. Like all those things are more resourceful than I'm trying. Yeah, it was a great practice of being the kind of person who gives themselves credit regularly for their accomplishments. Mm. Saying I'm trying to is not a very effective way of giving credit of what we've been able to already accomplish. Mm. Yeah, that's a really nice point. What else do we got here? We got one more. It's the most recent one we've added to the list. Actually, it's we hard. have two more, so what's the next one? Okay, sorry. List price. seven just went up to eight. It's exciting. Yeah. Okay, seven on the list is hard or difficult. Yeah, this hard or difficult is a stand-in for a lot of different kinds of words. They're opinion words. So I just want to notice that hard, difficult, even easy, those are just opinions about things. Like, is it hard to dig a hole? Well, I don't know. It depends on your perspective of whether or not it's hard to dig a hole. I want to catch that because if I say it's hard to dig a hole... Rather than it's fun to dig a hole, for instance, which is another opinion. I can just swap that opinion out. Now I've got a journey. I've got an arduous thing in front of me. I've got something that's hard in front of me. So it's useful for me to catch this kind of language. Like, oh, it's, it's really hard to, you know, develop that skill. Or it's really hard to whatever. I mean, pick, pick the thing. Mm-hmm. But, One I hear often is it's hard to own a business. Like, that's just a hard thing. And uh, we yeah. all assume that it's hard and most businesses fail and it's so charged up with unresourceful language but I hear it so often yeah and it's like what does that what all does that mean people say you know like 90% or 95% of businesses fail but it's like well but you're not actually rolling dice with your business (laughs) like (laughs) what do you mean well that's interesting too because that's actually the last word that we're going to get to is failure so well uh I I ruined the surprise but I think it's useful (laughs) So, um, so hard, difficult, um, this is also, it's kind of similar related to the good, bad, right, wrong thing, except they, these words totally. sound less objective. written, written in stone. Right. Yeah. Less objective. Yeah. Exactly. So be on the lookout for these opinion words, because when you're pulling out an opinion word, it's like you're coloring your experience with whatever that crayon is that you just pulled out of the box. We picked hard and difficult, but you know, smelly, lazy, Happy. These are all just words that are opinions. Listen, folks, I am all for you lying to yourself. Okay? (laughs) Don't get me wrong. I lie to myself constantly. If you're going to lie to yourself, though, here's the kind that I would advocate for you. Lie to yourself in a way that is resourceful. Lie to yourself in a way that feels useful to you, that helps you get closer to your ends in the world. So if you're going to be telling a lie anyway, this thing's hard, try telling the opposite lie. You know what? That's really easy. It's going to be really easy. Yeah, it's going to take me a few tries or it's going to take me a few repetitions or it's going to take me some practice. But man, it's really easy to do that practice. You just keep showing up and doing it over and over again. I was just thinking that as you were talking about this 
thing being hard and then I start thinking about all the blockages in the way and it doesn't feel very exciting to go and do that because it's going to be hard. It's not inspiring. But then as soon as I hear you say easy, then I'm like, oh yeah, like anything's easy. Like you just start taking action, get some feedback from that action, take some more refined action. And if you keep doing that, eventually you'll get there. Like it's really not that hard. It's super, it's, it's easy. It might take a while, but it's not hard. Yeah, exactly. Um, Marie Forleo has that phrase, it's figure-outable. I love that. It's like, mm-hmm. everything's figure-outable. Which is really great, because you can, you know, that's so useful. Because, like, look, cl- like climbing a mountain, okay? Climbing a mountain is hard. That is a way that somebody could describe climbing a mountain. Well, yeah, maybe, but, I mean, it also could be really fun, or it could be really playful. I love climbing a mountain it's really like an enjoyable activity people go and do it for recreation so while it could be like seen as being really hard it also could be seen as being really easy or really fun which version of the world do you want to see and you know and by the way again it's it's about what you want to experience right because maybe you actually really like doing hard things okay and so you want to see it as hard great. That's awesome. Like no, no challenge here. Just notice where, again, all of this language is to help you not limit your reality, not limit yourself from what you're, you're wanting to do in the world to be free. Yeah, totally. Uh, I have another alternate to hard or difficult, familiar and unfamiliar. So Mm -hmm. this is something Marissa Peer uses in, in her coaching and hypnosis is at one point, like if we say that quitting smoking is hard, for example, or like getting in the habit of running or starting a business or whatever, maybe it's hard, but what if it's just unfamiliar and you've just become habituated to a world that doesn't have not smoking in it, that doesn't have working out in it? And I love this language as an alternate because then it is not a process of overcoming obstacles. It's just a process of like, how do I make this so that it makes sense to me? How do I make this so that it's familiar to me? How do I habituate this into my world? Which, man, is just like a really empowering way of thinking about getting something done. Like, if you really, really want to quit smoking, great. Like, what is it that is habitual about smoking? And now we can just like undo that and create something else and get you the results you want in your world. Totally. And I, just to put this in a slightly different context, I think it's really useful. I really like this language because it we all, I think, understand the process of moving from like unfamiliar with something to familiar with something. And it just takes showing up at it again and again. And so like a lot of people would say it's really hard to start a business or it's really hard to run a business. And like as a many time business owner, I would say you probably just aren't familiar with it. Actually, Mm -hmm. it's not that hard. It really isn't. It's just there is a process. Absolutely. And it's a series of steps and it's you know, what, I'm going to say it's a lot of steps. I mean, who, even that is an opinion. A lot or a little, those are opinions. It's a number of steps. It's exactly the number of steps that it is. And it's it's very straightforward. It's very clear. If you d- don't know how to see it right now, it's just probably because you aren't familiar with it yet. And so, you know, going about the journey of familiarizing yourself with something, I think is really useful. Yeah, I love that right. word, yet. That's such a good like caveat to any sentence of like just it's such an easy way to advocate for possibilities exactly i love that that's exactly what it does it just advocates for possibilities it's Um, so good so good good resourceful yeah Yeah, it's resourceful it's useful it's effective um okay let's talk about failure failure is such a useful one to talk about and to become aware of when you're using the language because failure has I think culturally a very negative connotation and people don't want to be failures. People don't want to experience failure. And 
I think that this is a really tricky position to hold because everything that you want to be able to do, every skill that you have that you could possibly have, okay, is necessarily on the other side of failure. Failure, I love this definition of failure. It's the absence of necessary or expected results. The absence of necessary or expected results. All that means is they're not there yet. <laughs> the thing about failure is it only works when you use the word. Like failure only does the thing that it is when you quit trying and you name something failure. Like that is how a failure happens in the world. Otherwise, you're just learning. You're just practicing. You're just working on the skill. You're just becoming familiar with the thing. It's really an important distinction to make, I think. There are all these examples out there about like people's like books getting submitted to publishers and then like failing, quote unquote, 27 times for The Turtle the Turtle or whatever Dr. Seuss's first book was, was like 23 submissions or something like that. And then those two authors, Stephen King and Dr. Seuss, are like so prolific in the world. Like it's crazy how many books they've published, but it took them getting over these quote unquote failures to get there. So failure only happens when you name it. So there's a way to rework failure. And that is, it was an attempt that I learned from, or I'm not failing, I'm learning. Like the thing is, you can only fail when you stop. So if you're willing to keep trying at a thing, you haven't failed yet. And that's, that's just, there's my soapbox for failure. I think it's really useful. I think that another thing to add to that is that it seems like one of the challenges, like using that word is the kind of word that we then create like identity meaning of ourselves about. Like, oh, I'm just... I am I'm a failure. A, I yeah. am a failure or like I'm going to fail and then I am this thing that is it, it carries some kind of a negative connotation which is unfortunate because it really doesn't need to it is not very resourceful to associate failure with something bad especially since like we have to make many many attempts that aren't successful before we get a successful attempt get to i think this is a great opportunity to talk about the baby it's your favorite failure metaphor yeah totally but i think it's, it's such a clear and simple metaphor which is that you know Babies, when they're learning to walk, they fall over. That's not failing. It's just the process of learning to walk. Because a part of why we can't walk in the first place is because we literally don't have, we're not strong enough. We don't have the legs that we need to, in order to walk. And so if we fall over, what happens? We do a squat back up. Ugh! And then we just did a rep, a squat rep. And do enough squat reps and guess what? Your legs are going to get stronger. Get your legs strong enough and you will be able to walk, okay? So what I love about this example and why it's so clear, and by the way, this example is how we learn literally every single physical skill. It's just super clear with a baby learning to walk. But the reason that I love this metaphor so much is we don't learn to walk despite falling over, despite our quote-unquote failures. We actually actively learn to walk because we fell over and we did a squat rep to get back up. And that's how we got strong enough to walk. And that is what becoming familiar with something is. That's what learning business is. That's what learning language is. That's what learning math is. Literally every skill that you've ever learned, you went through a process of making mistakes so that you could understand how to not make mistakes anymore. That's literally what success, the formula for success is failed attempts plus one equals success. Like That's the formula. <laughs> you can map it. So I think it's a really useful model. Me too. I'm glad, I'm glad we included it. 
Awesome. Yeah, really great conversation. I think um, there's definitely more iterations of this in the future. There are other words like sorry and but that we didn't go into here that we could have. Um, that just help us to be more resourceful. And <laughs> if you have any other language or if you have any questions about this, reach out to us. You can find us on Instagram, I think would be the best way to ask questions about this podcast. So find us at lucid underscore shift underscore coaching um, on Instagram. And we would love to engage in the conversation. If any of this didn't land with you, if you have any questions, if you didn't buy any of it and you you know want further explanation, it, it does all hang together. We might not have been able to explain it today, but um, hope that you enjoyed all of this. Paige, as always, thank you for the stimulating conversation. And everybody else, thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.